Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to the all-new Compulsive Reader Talks. I'm Magdalena Ball and today's guest is Mary E. Martin, author of The Drawing Lesson, the first book in the Trilogy of Remembrance. Mary, welcome. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, before we start, can you please read to us a bit from The Drawing Lesson? Yes, I'd love to. Uh, I'm going to read from the prologue. And it introduces the uh, protagonist, Alexander Wainwright, and uh, his art art dealer, James Helmsworth, who is actually the narrator of the whole story. Starts out as follows. A figure, drenched in rain, stamped his feet and banged impatiently on the door of my gallery, Helmsworth and Son. When I unlocked it, Britain's finest landscape artist, Alexander Wainwright stormed in and towered over me. I asked as mildly as I could, where on earth have you been, Alex? I've been trying to reach you for days. Without answering, he tossed off his raincoat, which I caught and hung in the closet. Poised in the middle of the gallery, he gave a deep and solemn bow. Then a sweet smile broke upon his face. Why, I was finding beauty and harmony in the world, Jamie. As an art dealer, I know that artists are very different from you and me. We who must earn our living in the mundane world of commerce simply walk through a door and into a room. We can scarcely imagine how, in the mind of a highly creative person, the act of entering a shop can be fraught with so many dramatic possibilities. But I was always charmed by my dear friend's energy and life. Alex paused and, taking out a snowy white handkerchief, patted the raindrops from his grizzled face. What can I do for you then? he asked, eyeing the cabinet at the back. A drink, perhaps? I poured two glasses of scotch. I need your opinion, Alex, on this new group show for next week, the one before your retrospective gala. Alex grimaced and said, took a long drink. I have to cut one of the artists' out. There's simply not enough room. In an instant, Alex's professional eye scanned the painting. Those ones, he gestured at my favorites, dismissively. They should go. He slumped into the chair at my desk and fiddled with several pens scattered about. Jamie, uh, about the retrospective of my work, I sat down across from him. Yes? I can't do it. What on earth do you mean? He reached across the desk and touched my sleeve. His eyes gleamed intently. I'm afraid I'm losing my vision. Because I have heard what many artists speak of their vision, I assumed that Alex was referring to his source of inspiration. I was astounded when he described his plight. Just yesterday, I was walking along the embankment to my studio, and clouds seemed to roll in along the periphery of my vision until everything was almost entirely black. Of course I was frightened, so I sat down on a bench and waited for it to pass, which it did in about five minutes. Has it happened again? He shook his head, but it did several weeks ago. Immediately I reached for my address book. Don't fool around with this, Alex. I spoke sternly, but tried not to let my emotions overtake me. Good God. Beethoven losing his hearing. Wainwright losing his eyesight. 
a tragedy for both the man and his art. You must see Dr. Hugh Robinson, an ophthalmologist in Harley Street. I watched my hand tremble only slightly as I wrote down the doctor's address and phone number. He's an old school chum. Tell him I sent you and who you are. I'm sure he'll see you right away. I half expected that Alec would smile and make light of my concern, but he did not. Instead, he nodded and pocketed the note. After downing his drink, he rose to go. As he put on his coat, he looked strangely at me and said, Another surprise. I got a letter the other day from an old acquaintance back in Toronto. He seemed to shrink into his coat. Apparently, at least according to him, I may have a child. Really? I could think of nothing better to ask than, boy or girl. Alex turned the door off. He didn't say, but I loved the mother very much many years ago. She was my muse. It was my very best period of drawing. Will you try to find the child? He tossed up his hand in frustration. I've nothing to go on, baby, and perhaps it's never wise to go back. I agreed. After all, what good could come of unearthing the past? But I only said, don't forget Dr. Robinson, Alex. About those paintings for the group show, he said. They're not so bad, but the painter is still struggling to find out what's in his heart. He shrugged amiably, but when he turned away, he sighed. But then, isn't everything? I shook his hand. I'll see you at the tape Saturday night for the cocktail party. I smiled grandly. All in your honor, and the others, of course, on the short list for the Turner Prize. But Ronaldo might just win, maybe. Buttoning up his coat, he shook his head. I can't say I understand Ronaldo's art, because he interests me greatly. But honestly, I've never met a man who so effectively repels human sympathy. Then he winked at me and disappeared into the late afternoon gloom. As I closed up the shop, I reflected that much of Beethoven's most original and soul-stirring music was written when his deafness was most profound. But now I wondered, could a painter think that he could not see? My story of Alexander Wainwright begins on that day. What follows is the sum and substance of a remarkable year in a great artist's life. He was at the pinnacle of his career when his art took a strange turn, and I began to fear he had become possessed by some devil. But I was only beginning to understand the power of his passion, his hungry spirit, which nearly devoured him in his search for his new art and new life. I leave it to you to judge the value of his song. So that's the prologue of the drawing list. Wonderful. Um, uh, w one of the lines that you say in that, um, what good can come of unearthing the past, um, yes. brings up one of the themes that I I'd love to talk to you about, this whole notion of the past versus the present, um, the kinds of paintings, for example, that Wainwright paints versus yes. the kinds of paintings that Rinaldo paint, contemporary art versus um, older art, for example, or traditional art. Mm -hmm. Yes, well, um, Rinaldo, the antagonist, is a conceptual artist. And basically, uh, to put it very uh, briefly, 
a conceptual artist is one who feels he is not bound by the usual aesthetic concerns of beauty and harmony. Uh, for the conceptual artist, what counts is the concept, the idea. And um, his art is completely opposed or completely different to that of Alexander's, who would be described as a representation of painter. He's a landscape painter, and uh, in his paintings, he has um, actually, uh, you, you might see them as something maybe painted by Constable or Turner. Uh, the special aspect of Alexander's art is that he is able to create this wondrous light which emanates from within the canvas. And people who see his work uh, gasp and say, it's like seeing the beyond. And uh, this is what Alexander is uh, very famous for. And, uh, so his art is completely opposed to anything that uh, Ronaldo might come up with. So uh, yes, there's the <clears throat> old, which might be uh, Alexander's category of painting, uh, and the new, which would be Ronaldo's. Uh, certainly, there's that aspect to the two things. And there's also the old muse versus the new muse, isn't there? The old muse? Yeah. Well, Peter, for example, versus Ronaldo, who's a kind of odd muse in his way, but I guess he does function in that role. Yes, um, Peter uh, is another major character in the book, and um, he is, in fact, the other creative genius in the book. His most recent novel won the Man Booker Prize, and it was called The Paradox of Perception. Um, the two men are creative geniuses, and so the intensity of their relationship is bound up in the in what they envision, which is certainly uh, a notion. Both of them see that there is something beyond or behind this phenomenal world, which in fact supports our daily life. And so their relationship is based on creative vision. I almost felt that there was a kind of father and son thing happening between them as well. It's quite intense, that relationship between the two of them. It, it is. And, uh, Mirroring, perhaps to a certain extent, Peter's own relationship with his father. Yes, exactly. Uh, Peter's relationship with his father is developed quite a lot. His father, uh, his name was John, was um, a very, very unhappy man, very dissatisfied with his own life uh, as a postal clerk in a, a small town in uh, the UK. And uh, as a result, he was very um, almost cruel to his son, Peter, who, you know, simply wanted to run off and 
being off of it as opposed to getting serious and getting down to business. And so um, Peter has always been dominated a great deal by his father, his father's lack of love. And yes, Alexander is uh, a number of years older than Peter. Um, their major bond is that they share uh, this vision of the world, but also you're quite right, I did have in mind that there was a father-son aspect to their relationship. In fact, Alexander says at one point to someone else uh, that uh, really uh, Peter had to break free of him, that is, of Alex, so that he could uh, find his greatest artistic uh, uh, accomplishment, and that he could not do it relying upon him, that is, upon Alex. So a father-son aspect, too, as well. Yes. So talk to me a little bit about the, the trilogy of Remembrance as a whole. How did the idea come about? Yes. Uh, the trilogy of Remembrance had a bit of a strange start. I uh, had completed um, another trilogy entitled The Osgood Trilogy, and it was about a protagonist, the same protagonist throughout Harry Jenkins, who was a lawyer here in Toronto, a fiction lawyer, of course. And uh, by the time I finished that trilogy, I was wanting to change. Uh, I didn't want to get sort of trapped in with one character uh, or set of circumstances. And so um, because I've always been greatly interested in art and travel, uh, I wanted to start create a whole new world. And this was the world of art, which was the best suited for exploring some of the issues I wanted to explore. Mm. Now, I absolutely love the book trailer. I felt it was like a movie trailer to me. I was caught up in the story um, almost as if it was a different kind of story, too. Um, but it definitely called to mind the book and, and was a great teaser. Talk to me a little bit about how you did it. Yes. Uh, the book trailer uh, was created by uh, an actor-producer by the name of Marcus Chate. And I was introduced to him through my publisher, iUniverse. And... Um, Basically, Marcus Chase and his team um, read the book, uh, came up with uh, a storyline of about a minute and a half, which is the usual length for a book trailer, and uh, really built into it uh, a great deal of the, the narrative energy and drive of the, uh, the whole uh, story. Um, I would like to claim that I produced and directed it. <laughs> I'm afraid I had almost nothing to do with it other than being quite delighted with the end result. You feel like you really need to make a movie of the book, don't you, when you've got such a, an evocative trailer? Well, I, I think so. Maybe it's a trailer for a trailer. That's right. Trailer for a film. Uh, and you specifically say that this is not a film. 
Right. Right. And so, I mean, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead, please. Uh, no, I was just going to say, um, talk to me a little bit about the trilogy form because this is your second trilogy. Okay. Yes. Uh, well, I seem to be to gravitate towards the trilogy form, and I was thinking about that because I guess I'm attracted to the notion that every story must have a beginning, a middle, and an end, which naturally uh, divides things into three portions. And uh, so if you have a character such as Alexander Wainwright or a character uh, such as Harry Jenkins, uh, both are very, very strong and pretty complex characters. And so they really need the, the space of, uh, of, of three books. You, you just have a sense that there's a lot more you can do than just write one book about this particular character. And uh, I do suspect uh, by the time I'm done with the trilogy of Remembrance, I'll be ready to, to find a new person. Well, um, Alexander Rainwright is quite a large character. Um, do you feel after three books that uh, maybe that wouldn't be enough? You might go on, or you, does it give you a kind of outline to work with? Well, sort of at this point in time, um, I rather suspect, but I don't know for sure, that um, I'll probably stick with the, the three. But uh, that doesn't mean that... Uh, uh, by the time I've written the last book, that I won't have thought up uh, more stuff to uh, send his way. Mm. Each book stands alone, of course, but yeah. uh, do you feel that reading the three books, it almost creates a different kind of meaning to reading each individual one? Um, yes, I, I would like to think so. I, I would hope so. Now, the third book in this trilogy has not been written as of yet, although I think in the back of my mind, I hope I'm playing with it. Um, the second book in the trilogy is pretty much ready for publication and hopefully will be out in the fall, The Fate of Pride. And in that book, Alexander is again, once again, the protagonist. Um, he has a brand new antagonist, uh, whose name is Jonathan Pride, P-R-Y-D-E. And uh, Jonathan Pride is an extremely wealthy um, patron of the arts. He's a very generous, uh, elegant, kindly uh, individual. Uh, but as it becomes clearer and clearer to Alexander, this man, Jonathan Pride, has a pretty dark, and so I have uh, a lot of uh, interesting times, shall we say, playing with sort of the ideas of Apollo and Dionysus and uh, wondering whether or not Jonathan Pride wonders why both can't be in play at the same time in the daylight. And uh, I think the conclusion is that uh, they can't unless you're prepared to go mad. So mm. sort of the, 
the gist of the thing cry. Yes, and I love that little play on the words as well. Um, Wainwright is a is a character that obviously um, draws from his muses, and uh, I found it quite interesting. This um, we talked about fathers and sons, but I guess this idea too of, of fathers and daughters, and um, the way in which his daughter forms a kind of a both a positive and negative muse for him. Can can you talk to me a little bit about the whole notion of muses with Wainwright and what they do for him? Yeah. Um, well, I think any creative artist, whether it's a matter of uh, being a painter or writing itself or whatever, um, draw in, draws inspiration from a huge variety of sources. Uh, clearly, Alexander finds um, other people to be a great source of inspiration and light. Um, in the drawing lesson, he travels from London to Venice to Toronto to New York City. And in the course of those journeys, he meets many people. And each one seems to have some sort of lesson, if you will, uh, to teach to him and, and vice versa. He has a lot to give each one of them. And uh, so he does uh, get inspiration from Peter. He gets inspiration from travel and other people. And uh, somehow when he's looking for his news, I think he does find it in the drawing lesson in the most surprising of all places. He finds his unions, if you will, in the uh, person of his tormentor, um, Rinaldo, the conceptual artist. Mm. And, and Rinaldo's pretty unpleasant, too. Um, he's, he's quite the antagonist. Uh, yes. But he has a very positive role overall for Wainwright, doesn't he? Catalyst yes. change. Yeah, he, he really does. And so I suppose that... Uh, really a way of saying that uh, you may not always like to use, <laughs> you know, maybe somebody unpleasant or someone you dislike who is there uh, for a purpose of teaching you something. And certainly I think that's what happens with, uh, with uh, Rodolfo. Yes. Um, another thing you said in the opening, which I quite um, I quite liked, was this notion of um, Beethoven writing his most original music when his deafness was most profound. Um, Wainwright losing his his eyesight and and um, the light that comes through his painting are both kind of flip sides of a coin, aren't they? Yes, yes, indeed. Um, you know, <clears throat> I guess you can always ask the question. Um, what what do you find in the dark? And Alexander goes to quite a few dark places in the drawing lesson, in the sense, uh, just to give one example, um, his past catches up with him uh, with, <laughs> to his very great surprise and shock. And uh, so you don't always see these things coming, but uh, some people 
like to think that, uh, you know, whomever you meet in your life uh, may be there for some, some purpose. Mm. Now, talk to me about some of the research you did for the, the book. Yes. Um, well, uh, I guess all my life I've um, loved art. I studied it um, as a student in university. And uh, probably when I travel, um, I go to as many art galleries as I, I could manage to get in. And, uh, you know, so I feel quite at home in the world of art. And I've read quite a bit about it just in the past. I would not tackle uh, trying to create a world in which I didn't feel really comfortable. And so, because I don't think you can do it, uh, you know, effectively. But, uh, you know, in terms of research, uh, when I was in one of the earlier drafts in creating and developing Ronaldo's character, um, I really felt that I was turning him into a pretty horrible person. And I asked myself the question, um, you know, is that because you don't really like conceptual art all that much? So I spent one summer when I was doing redrafting, I spent, I went to as many conceptual art shows as I could here in Toronto and sort of read more about it. I read a biography of an artist, Marcel Duchamp, who uh, worked at the beginning of the 20th century and is primarily known as the, the granddaddy of conceptual artists. And, uh, you know, his work brought forth and developed the notion, uh, or, or rather, to say, made people ask, the question, what is art? And, uh, you know, Marcel Duchamp would say, uh, art is anything I say it is, that his, he would find his ready-made art. And by ready-made, he would take an old wine rack and put it in a particular place, put a label on it and say, uh, ready-made art. Uh, he's also the artist who first drew a mustache on the Mona Lisa. And so uh, he was really challenging the concept of what is art. And in his own way, uh, so is uh, Ronaldo challenging the concept of what is art. Alex has a totally different vision of it. Uh, Alex thinks in terms of uh, beauty, aesthetics, comedy, all that sort of thing. And to uh, Ronaldo, that's a, a mere bourgeois conceit. So they're quite ethnological. And do you find yourself enjoying conceptual art more now after that research? <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I can't say that I really do. Perhaps I'm better aware at what artists are attempting to do and, uh, you know, the message. But Alexander at one point takes uh, Ronaldo on and challenges him 
um, along the lines of, all right, uh, conceptual art, you judge it by the concept. Well, it's the result. Well, what is the concept? Yeah, is the concept of an album is basically uh, pretty lame. <laughs> so uh, Alex is saying, well, you know, we're trying to judge your work by your own self-imposed standards. And so um, I still have my preference to uh, representation in that. And, and I suppose in the end, Wainwright does create something that is entirely modern and yet still aesthetically beautiful. Yes. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, that would seem. Um, so we're, we're nearly out of time, but um, Mary, I'd love for you to, I know you've got another book coming out shortly. I'd love you to give us some links to the listeners so that they can come and find out a little bit more about your books, how to get hold of them, and um, and check out that fantastic trailer as well. Yeah, okay. Uh, the website is RemembranceTrilogy.com, and you can find my blog there. Um, you can also find me and my two characters, Alexander Wainwright and Ronaldo on Facebook. Uh, I'm still on Twitter, so I'm learning all about social media. <laughs> so that's as, are, as are we all, <laughs> and we're all feeling our way. I think. I think. Um, if anybody is interested in the Oscar Trilogy, it can be found at theoscartrilogy.com. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time, Mary. Um, and don't forget to join us next time when we interview Fiona Scott Norman about her new book, Don't Peek at High School. And we'll see you then. Thanks very much.